not letting him inside right now. Ziegler, ball knocked away by Boswell. Ziegler gets it back. Seven on the shot clock. Boswell all over Ziegler now. Throws across court, right corner. Open. Three ball. Good. Courtney Ramey. Works his way in lob play for Ballo. Layup is good. Inside, nobody open there. Back door cut to Larson. He'll lay it in. Hello and welcome to Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with Ed Bardo. And I am here uh, on the offseason here kind of just thinking about all the different things that are influencing the way uh, college basketball is changing and watching those things play out here in the offseason. What do you think, Ricky? It's been a busy offseason, you know, contrary to popular belief. I think a lot of people are are frustrated a little bit with Arizona basketball and why all these other teams aren't making so many moves or other teams are making so many moves and Arizona doesn't seem to be doing too much, but we do have some news to talk about, so uh, we'll go ahead and get right into it. Arizona has received a commitment from Carter Bryant. Uh, he committed just a few days ago on Wednesday. And uh, Travis Branham from 247 Sports was with Carter Bryant uh, talking to Carter about it. So let's go ahead and listen to Carter Bryant's announcement as he commits to Arizona. Here we go. Awesome. Well, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. you got over 1,000 people tuning in to hear what you are about to say. Tell the world where you will be headed to play college basketball. I will be playing college basketball at the University of Arizona. That is awesome. Congratulations, Carter. Why did you pick Arizona? Um, I felt like it was the best program for me from an aspect of the person I am as a student athlete. So I just felt like it fit me the most um, on and off the court. You are extremely familiar with Arizona. You said your aunt played there. You've spent a lot of time down in Tucson. You've taken several visits. What was it that ultimately drew you uh, to Tommy Lloyd and this staff? Uh, the pedigree of the coaching staff. The coaching staff is coached at multiple levels, whether that's high school, college, or the pro level, even overseas. So um, the players they've had in the past, and I know their development is some of the best in the country. So I know that I'm gonna when I get there, I would I'm gonna get better. Okay, so that was Carter Bryant announcing that he has committed to the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, he's of the class of 2024. Or, yeah, 2024-2025. Ed, what do you think about Carter Bryant, five-star, Tommy's first five-star committing to Arizona? I think, that, I mean, it's obviously it was probably there. You could hear a collective sigh of relief from the uh, Arizona fan base. And before I jump into that, I, I did want to mention one thing, too, is that you're right. There was this whole overall feeling that, uh, Eric, that uh, perhaps – as much as Tommy Lloyd has done in his first two seasons, of course, we all know that there's always going to be folks who say, yeah, but what is he going to bring when it comes to his own players, his own recruiting to some extent? Somebody will say that's Sean Miller's player, but what was he going to do for himself? And so when it got quiet in the postseason, there was a lot of uh, folks, you know, worried, you know, what is, what, what's Tommy going to do when it comes to recruiting? We're not hearing anything. So Carter making that announcement, of course, a five-star recruit was huge, particularly in light of Kirk Kreese's departure, right? Um, that, that, so I think that, of course, was just, I mean, that, that of course, both a sigh of relief and a, a wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what Tommy Lloyd needed. And just as you said, 
we were all looking at the 2024 class as Tommy's first real class because the assumption was, yeah, we'd probably still have Kerr next season, which obviously we don't now. Um, maybe Tubelis would have stayed, uh, which he didn't. But the assumption was that 2024 was going to be Tommy Lloyd's first actual recruiting class. And to have a guy like Carter Bryant, and let's not forget, Arizona also has Jamari Phillips. And so those two guys together, that is a huge class. That is a top 10, potentially even top five class. Uh, I know that this past weekend, there was the EYBL up in Phoenix. And a lot of the Arizona reporters were out there watching these two guys play. And a lot of them said Jamari Phillips is one of the best players on the court, uh, at least at EYBL. Um, they didn't see anybody else that could even compete with him. And I think he shot like 25 for 35 from three or something like that over the course of all the games they played. I mean, he was just on fire. So it's building up this excitement now, right, about the 2024 class, Tommy Lloyd's first major recruiting class. He got a five-star in Carter Bryant. And who knows if Jamari Phillips, I believe he'll be moved up to a five-star with the way he's playing uh, right now. So again, this is really exciting times to be a cat. And it, it does prove that, you know, Tommy Lloyd can recruit. You know, it was, like you said, it was big for his reputation in order to bring this guy in. If we lost Carter Bryant, Absolutely. yeah, if we lost Carter Bryant after losing Ryan Nemhard, which seemed to be a lock for Arizona, right? And a couple other guys, um, you know, there's those two guys, I think it's Mookie, uh, he went to Oregon and uh, Kwame Evans Jr. also went to Oregon. Um, those guys were looking at Arizona very hard, but Arizona lost out on those guys. So Tommy Lloyd needed this one. He needed this win. He did. He did. And nowadays it's a lot different feel. So the, one of the things we uh, for everybody who's uh, who's what you have to remember that this is a different world we're living in. We're living in the age of the transfer portal. And so one of the things to think about is that there's this kind of stage that happens that people are, are forgetting about. The transport portal goes into operation for about a certain amount of time. But one of the things that we get so focused on is who's leaving as soon as the season ends, right? Immediately, that's all the concern is. So in this particular case, the outflux from Arizona was pretty, you know, when we, we started to hear a lot of news about people either thinking about leaving or leaving. And of course, the, and the use of the transfer portal or the NBA, or just, of course, out of eligibility being the reasons that they're leaving. So, so much, so many folks in this particular year were departing that uh, I think there was a lot of feeling of, oh my God, what are we going to do to make up for that? Well, now, of course, we're starting to see that uh, that this we cut, it comes in phases. And of course, the transfer portal is coming to expiration here soon to when they can use it. And uh, Arizona got another recruit out of there as well. It's another commitment out of there as well. So the team is building up in the places that it needs to. But just to give a perspective, I just wanted to mention something to give a perspective before people get, you know, as people were picking on Tommy pretty harshly for a bit there. You have to remember that when Sean Miller came back, you know, Sean Miller was considered like this great recruiter, right? In the first year, he had a great time because he, had, he actually had a, a pretty easy time because at that time, there are other programs in the uh, in the Pac-12 that were having issues and stuff that caused players to play for the USC and, and so forth. But in addition, just I want you to think about this. So when T Sean Miller started, one of his first group of recruits was Daniel Bajarano, Jordan Mays, Jesse Perry. Anybody remember what those guys did? No? How about in 2011? Outside of Nick Johnson, you had Josiah Turner, Angela Choi, Siddiqui Johnson. Anybody remember what those guys did? So before you give Tommy a hard time, I want you and, and think, boy, you know, uh, Sean was his ultimate recruiter. That was his 
first few years at Arizona. So um, let's get, let's give Tommy a chance. He's showing you what he could do. I think that uh, I think that he's going to do a great job. And uh, let's uh, let's t- let's look at all facets of what Tommy's bringing to the table here. Yeah, and we got to remember it's May fifth. <laughs> you know, it's not like the season's starting next week, and we're like, okay, who are we going to play? You know, it's May fifth. We've got people that are going to probably exit the NBA draft uh, because they're not good enough yet. They were getting feedback, and so they're they're going to go back to college, and they may not go back to the colleges that they came from. They may be looking to transfer. So there's going to be players left that Tommy can look at, and I do believe Tommy has a plan. Um, so we need to settle down a little bit. Let's remember again, it's May fifth. Let's not get too crazy here, uh, and trust the process because there is a process there. And just like you had mentioned with Sean Miller, um, Derek Williams and Solomon Hill were gifts from USC, right? That's it. They were just that. Just and who saw? I mean, who who saw Derek Williams uh, taking off the way he did? Come on, right. that was something else. That was just it. Just it, it just worked out that way. And of course, typically you kind of erase that first year. You start looking at the second, third, maybe beyond that to see what the the coach actually does themselves because then that starts becoming the core of his team that their recruits start coming in and then the team starts transforming into their team so like i said is when sean first started you got a lot of folks that that though if you're a hardcore arizona fan you remember who they were but come on they didn't really have a strong impact in <laughs> for the wildcats right so let's give uh, let's give probably some room there because the team is starting to build up and i think of getting back to carter uh i mean this is that's an amazing what an amazing recruit to bring in, you know, just bringing these type of players in, bringing a player like Carter in, it's going to, I think, really just make a big difference because as much as I was, I was uh, saddened to see the team, you know, the departures from the team, I have to say that after two years of, of uh, kind of, let's say, um, tournament performance that was subpar, <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, something needed to change. Something fundamentally needed to change. And one of the things that, of course, that I've said that was controversial a bit too, as I said that even given the, uh, if you look at the statistics stuff about uh, Kirk Creason's assistant three-point shooting, once he was just like, seemed like to be a superstar player and stuff, but there was something missing about him that, that uh that was preventing us from as the he just was missing that floor general element we talked about this previously and uh also there was just certain parts about what was missing between our other scores and stuff that just didn't uh just wasn't gelling together to make arizona go to become a truly great team that could that could have resistance to uh you know adversity in the tournament so a fundamental reconfiguration I thought was necessary. And now this is what's happening this year. And to go to that point, we all know what Tommy can do internationally, right? He's, you know, one of the elites when it comes to recruiting internationally. But I think what he learned last year is that there's got to be a good mix between the domestic and international because you had those guys like Kerr and like Tubelis and let's not beat around the bush. They were good players, you know, Kerr, led the, the Pac-12 in assists, and we all know what Tubelis did, right? But there was still that element of toughness that they were lacking. And you mentioned this last podcast when we had the Selection Sunday here. We had Carter Bryant there. Uh, we were hosting him during Selection Sunday, and they asked Kerr, 
you know, what does this mean to, to be here all together and watching Selection Sunday? And like you said, last podcast, it, he said it was just another day, you know, he didn't, he didn't have that, you know, energy, that capacity to, to just feel college basketball at its core. And I feel like he's, he was lacking that toughness, that, that energy. And I think Tabellus was the same way. So kind of like you mentioned, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that they left we love them, you know, they're wildcats for life, but it, it was time to move on. And I think that getting yeah, some, to, to, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to some extent, I think too, is that when you have enough mix to where the, the majority of your team is international players, the core languages or their primary languages are different too. You have cultural and, uh, and the communications disconnects that sometimes occur. And I think at times they, they didn't, fully gel and fully come together. I mean, you have somebody from Mali and somebody, you know, you just have these different locations from Estonia and everything and just coming together is, 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 a, is a challenge. But Tommy is a master. He he did, a, a, he brought these guys better together better than one could have ever hoped. But there was, like you said, a toughness that was missing that allowed teams to push us around at times. And it, I don't think it was a mistake that we lost to Washington State or we got blown out by Oregon or some of these other teams in the pack. Uh, 12 that aren't weren't that strong and I think it was the same type of thing that made us so the Princeton loss not as surprising as it might have been right and let's talk about it I mean Tommy Lloyd is trying to address that there's a lot of talk you know around the Arizona faithful that Tommy Lloyd didn't care that they lost to Princeton and that he's just not going to make the right changes and that he's being lazy with his recruiting or his recruiting strategy is terrible and and he's he, he didn't feel it I certainly believe that Tommy Lloyd felt that Princeton loss and that he said something's got to change. And that way, I, I, so very, very good point, Ricky. And I actually think what you're saying is potentially the things that had to change in the discussions he had that we weren't privy to hearing are perhaps why Kerr left. Right. Yeah, he had to have those tough conversations. And, you know, I think it's going to be for the better. Uh, let's talk about our, our second uh, commitment here. He just committed to Arizona recently. Jaden Bradley from Alabama. Now, this is a big commitment. Uh, he was a freshman last year for Alabama. And as we all know, regardless of the off-the-court stuff that Alabama did, they were one of the most talented basketball teams in the country. Uh, you know, they were the number one team in the country for several weeks. Uh, and Jaden Bradley was pretty much a star on that team. Uh, he didn't get as much playing time as he could have, uh, again, because Alabama was very talented. But Jaden Bradley is going to bring that toughness. I've watched some film of him playing. And, uh, you know, with the loss of Ryan Emhard, you know, going to Gonzaga, not Arizona, I think he's going to fit in perfectly with Kylan Boswell. I think I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Yeah, he can get, I mean, he can get to the paint very easily. He gets fouled. Uh, you know, he's not the greatest shooter. Uh, he can work on that though. So I'm okay with him not being a great shooter as long as he brings toughness, as long as he gets into the paint, which none of our guards last year did a great job of getting into the paint. And then if he can, you know, make the free throws, do all the other little things, Kylan Boswell is a great scorer. So I think they can play off each other very well, you know, where maybe Kylan Boswell has some weaknesses and Jaden, those are his strengths and then vice versa. Yeah, and I, th I think think about it. I mean, as a as a, a you know a, a limited player, when we say limited, he, he averaged like nineteen point nine minutes per uh, uh, per game. He got twenty two games in, so he started. For, I mean, he literally out of the uh, thirty seven games, he started twenty two of those. 
Okay, so he averaged 6.4 points, 3.1 assists, 2.6 rebounds, just playing part-time in there. So not a not a bad bit of experience playing on one of the best teams, but his competition was Javon Quimberly. So I mean that was that, that was tough, but he did, did, didn't stop him from playing. He got he got really good experience, I think, particularly uh, given his position and the type of experience playing on what was arguably one of the best teams in the nation. What an impact player we have here. What a chance with Tommy Lloyd's development program. I'm really looking to see him contribute to the program. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited for Jaden Bradley. And now it's starting to come together. Now next season you've got Kylan Boswell, you've got Jaden Bradley, you've got um, – you know, all our, our bigs are coming back, except for obviously Dubellis. Um, so going to my next point here, Tommy Lloyd as a recruiter and a player developer, what do you think about Tommy Lloyd's recruiting strategy? Do you like that he is very picky with his recruiting? Do you like that he's only offering certain guys and that he wants the offer from Arizona to feel special? I, I, I do. I do like that. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm watching here is be, and I was holding back to pass judgment because through football, through basketball, I've always said to folks that uh, you can't really get a feel for the recruiting strategy until enough years have passed where you get to see it in operation. And because it tends to evolve in the first two, three years, um, it, even, even after they describe their strategies, it tends to change a bit. And like I used the Sean Miller uh, example, um, it, it changes quite a bit. And so by the third, fourth year and stuff, you really get a few, real picture for it. So I was reserving a lot of judgment, but I had total confidence. I had to be honest, I, I, I you know, was ears were perked and I was paying attention when, you know, that all the announcements were coming out of, you know, the four and five star groups um, where they were going to. And I kept waiting to hear Arizona's name because every year I pay attention to that sort of thing. And, uh, but I, I had confidence. I had confidence that was something was, was something was coming. In all fairness, folks, even if you pick, take your most pessimistic picture, your most pessimistic picture of recruiting, wouldn't you have given Tommy a year or two for a rebuilding year anyway? Right. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to remember that he had the FBI stuff hanging over his head. So even up until last late last year, recruiting has to have been tough because, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen to Arizona. Now we do. Right. So with all that FBI stuff out of the way, it feels like now Tommy Lloyd is getting to work and now he's getting to do what he wanted to do and get, you know, target some of these players. Uh, I agree with you. I, I really do like his strategy. I like the idea of offering very few kids. Now the problem with that is if you offer only a few kids and then you miss on some of those kids, you have to have a backup plan. Uh, you know, Jaden Bradley as a backup plan to Ryan Amard, I'm okay with that. I think that's a great backup plan. Yes. And and I think he's, I, I think that, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say I think that he needs to he knows the positions that he's vulnerable in. So one of the things that you, that causes the transfer act transfer portal to be so active is if a player feels they're not getting the playing time or getting the focus uh, on a team because they want to make themselves known uh, and get to get noticed for a variety of different reasons, including probably NIL. But uh, they uh, are going to leave. And so if you have if you over recruit on point guards and you end up getting having four of them, of course they're not going to stick around. So you've got to have a strategy that gives you a high probability that you get the type of players that you need and that you have a backup plan in those positions and stuff, but still try to reinforce uh, the type of players that you have that get in backups for them without putting yourself in a position where you're going to just stock up future transfers. 
Yeah, I mean, look look at what Eric Musselman's doing at Arkansas. They have six guards that they've got that have transferred to Alabama. Obviously, all six of those guards aren't going to play. So, what's the pitch there? What is he telling them in order to you know get them the playing time and get them to want to go to Arkansas? You know, after he's next telling them you've got a really good administrator to help you with the transfer portal next year. <laughs> exactly. You know, most of those guys are going to be gone anyway. So it's it's odd because. That's that's a strategy I don't really care for. I don't really care for offering anybody and everybody and saying, come to Arizona if you want to. No, no, because you have to really think about it, too. I was thinking about, you know, how does Kylan Boswell take uh, Jaden Bradley and, 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 you know, how each of the, you know, I'm sure Tommy's having discussions with them. It's not just randomly bring players in and surprise the team that this, this player's coming in. I'm sure he has discussions with them and how this fits in with the overall strategy and playing, and playing time and so forth. But, you know, I think some just throw a blanket out there and take the shotgun approach and try to bring as many players in and then try to figure it out. I have a question for you. I hadn't hadn't bothered to look this up and would keep talking about the transfer portal, and I just wanted to bring this one up. So I was kind of looking at some of the rules and kind of the way the transfer portal works because there's literally a lot of different type of uh, misconceptions about the transfer portal to where people jokingly describe it as this actual physical portal that people walk through and they disappear. But uh, it, it has such a mystical sounding name. But so a lot of the rules about when it's in operation, who's eligible to use it, and how many times can they use it. So have you seen a case... One of the things I've seen is that a lot of change has been involved re- regarding, you know, penalties for use. And so the way I understand it now the, in the last iteration and stuff is there no, there's no penalty the first time you go through the portal. But the second time that there's likelihood that you could get a redshirt year, for example, the old redshirt year could come back. Mm-hmm. So have you, what have you seen on that? What do you, what do you see? Honestly, right now, it kind of feels like the Wild West still. I don't know if those rules are in place. It doesn't seem like anyone's abiding by them. Uh, you know, it just it feels like whoever's offering the highest money to the, you know, to these players, that's the school they're picking. Uh, and and I think that's I think that's the way it's working right now, primarily because transport portals new enough that most of the players going through are first timers. But the question I was thinking, because I, I was just thinking the utter chaos this has caused, because the restrictions they had with transfers made it hard. You know, it made it the redshirt year always made it. Uh, uh, you know, you had to really think about it. Plus, you had to go through the coach, the AD, and the and others potentially university to get approval to transfer and nowadays of course the power is in the hands primarily of the player so uh, i was questioning well how many times can they go so what if they you know try to hop each year is there a penalty and it seems like they've they've instituted they, they have a plan to institute a penalty i just can't think of a case of where that's ever been done and i don't know if there's enough enough people who have gone in and tried to uh, switch for their second time in their college career or their third time to warrant that they've actually exercised that clause. Well, I guess we will find out next year with Arkansas's players. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. There you go. But no, I agree with you. I I enjoy that aspect. I do think there needs to be some regulation so that you can't transfer four times in four years. And I think that in the past, when you transferred, you had that redshirt year it made you think about it because it's like, oh, wow, I'm not going to play next year. Uh, so you really had to think about whether or not this was a move you wanted to make. And uh, I, I do like that aspect of it because, yeah, it's just out of hand right now. You know, all these players are bouncing around from yeah. different teams, whoever can offer the most money. And 
that's one of our topics here too is is nil uh it's just confusing to me what nil is you know it's supposed to be name image and likeness and you're supposed to have deals you know within businesses um throughout the community and whatnot and that's how you make your money through your nil whereas right now it feels like you know they're just paying players you know boosters are coming up with money and these players are just getting paid pretty much yeah that's pretty much it. I think NIL has ended up becoming the, it's one of the things that suddenly made it to where small schools could become uh, competitive with big schools and trying to attract players because now they have a way to, if they've got a big booster or someone who uh, is a big donor for the school, one alumni or something who's rich and famous, he can suddenly dump money that can be, NIL can be used as a tool to funnel it to the player to draw them in. Whereas that would have never, they would have never had any chance to do that legally uh in in a smaller school so it's really even the playing ground there and i i think it's being used i totally agree with you if your point is that you think it's being used in ways no one that it wasn't intended for that i totally agree yeah it it just feels like everyone's doing whatever they want and whoever has the most money that's where they're going to go i kind of feel like that's maybe what happened with ryan nemhard maybe arizona didn't offer a good nil and maybe Gonzaga did. Maybe Gonzaga had a booster step up and say, no, we'll, we'll bring Ryan here. We can do this. You know, I'm just guessing. It's not, I'm not breaking any news or anything. I'm just guessing here. But that's the kind of world we live in right now is, you know, if I want to go to Arizona and Arizona says, well, here's what we can give you for NIL. And then the other schools that you're being recruited by say, well, here's what we can offer you. Then obviously, if you want the money, that's where you're going to go. That's right. And I think one of the things that, uh, one of the things that should be looked at closer, and I'm, I'm very curious about this, and if any, list, uh, any listeners want to communicate with us and let us know what they've seen, I'm very curious as to what the restrictions are. I have to imagine that the NCA uh, will pursue blatant uh, misuse of NIL to just basically pay players for no reason at all. I, I, there's I've got to be enough uh, blatant uh, examples that they'll start to pursue those, but if, if not, I mean, we're truly looking at if you take a transfer portal and uh, NIL as exists today, I mean, college sports is just a completely different thing than it used to be. It's just transformed things. And I think um, the tournament as it played out uh, a bit was influenced by that, but it's just going to get much worse in how we're going to see. To some extent, I mean, it may bring a lot of parity to smaller schools and so forth, but I think uh, – we're about to see, we're just seeing a small portion of what this potentially could look like in the future. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate the way Arizona is doing it. I do believe that, you know, Kylan Boswell, I've heard, has a couple deals within businesses around the community, and I think that's the appropriate way to do it. I don't know that Arizona has necessarily brought anybody in, and there are rumors that Arizona's NIL for Jaden Bradley was better than Memphis or better than NC State. And that's why he chose Arizona. But I've also heard that those are blatantly false and that Arizona had a really good relationship with Jaden Bradley uh, because Arizona was second to Alabama uh, when Jaden Bradley was being um, recruited. And so he went to Alabama, of course. But then now that he's transferring, Arizona is an obvious choice. His family likes Arizona a lot. You know, uh, Tommy Lloyd and some of the recruiters on Arizona called and said they wanted to do an own in-home visit with Jaden Bradley. And his dad said no. And that no can sometimes be scary, right? But it wasn't because 
they didn't want to talk to Arizona at all. It's because they knew Arizona's pitch already. They knew what Arizona is bringing to the table. They wanted to hear everybody else's pitch, but really they were already comfortable with Arizona. They had already proven that by Arizona being in the top two for Jaden Bradley. So just wanted to get that out there because yeah, NIL is very confusing right now. We aren't really sure exactly what it is other than right now. It seems like it's a way to pay players. Uh, but with Jaden Bradley, it seems that NIL wasn't a huge issue and that Jaden Bradley actually was very comfortable with Arizona. So, I, I like I said, I like and, the way Arizona is doing their NIL right now. So, I, I'm just going to kind of express my own personal opinion, too. And so, one of the things I'll say is that the, the reason why I enjoy college sports so much over uh, – and, and the Olympics, for that matter, over uh, the NBA, the NFL, and so forth, is that – as much as I was a big, big fan of uh, professional sports and so forth, is that it, it's just turned into uh, the business that it is so apparent. It's just so apparent. The uh, the pride of winning uh, to uh, and so forth is missing. As you you end up with a lot of prima donnas, you end up with people uh, shifting pro no loyalty uh, and all that. LeBron being a perfect example no loyalty to any uh, program is just whatever deal makes sense for them, not for their fans. So that college sports became this bastion where you uh, quote unquote amateur sports, where many of the players, the vast majority of the players weren't going to go play that professionally. So it was truly about doing it now, doing it for your school, doing it for your teammates. It was all about that. The right. thing that NIL has uh, a potential to do is really ruin that. Right. And, uh, I, I'm just, you know, I like I like the idea of, of NIL in general, and of course, allowing students to benefit. Uh, you know, it was always this, there were always tragic stories of Arizona players, for example, seeing uh, products with their number or their likeness uh, being sold by the university, where it was making money, where their coach was making money, that they were struggling to, uh, they knew they could get in trouble for receiving a pair of shoes. Right, and so. So in that, in the idealistic world, of course, that's the NIL seems like a great idea and a way of evening that up, giving more back to the students. But seeing it uh, potentially uh, having it perverted this way uh, could really hurt uh, what makes college sports so unique in the world. Well, and that brings up a point that I would, just came to my mind is you have a very unique experience with this traveling internationally for your work. Um if you can explain to everybody how fun and exciting it is for you to explain to the people outside of the United States what college athletics are like and, and how cool and neat it is to have all these fans gathered around. If you could just go into that real quick, because you have a, a viewpoint that's really, really intriguing because you do travel internationally for work. Yeah. Okay. That, that that's a that's a great point to bring up. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Actually, what I do is since I've traveled to over 100 countries at this point, and I travel a lot internationally. A lot of the times that I, I tried to look for something that was uniquely American or something that was uh, that that had an American twist that could uh, that other people could understand and relate to so that I could share something that was uniquely American, but that didn't come off as the ugly American, rather something that was a, that was like, wow, that's amazing. And it was amazing. I was one time sitting in South Africa and I had a 
presentation up on the screen. And, and while we were on a break, I was looking up an Arizona basketball score while sitting in Pretoria, South Africa. And so people came in and caught me and I found myself explaining it to them. And then I realized, you know, this is a universal thing. They do the same thing to me when they come into the United States. They want to look up their, their soccer scores or their football scores uh, while they're there. And I said, let me, but this is something unique about this. It's college sports. Let me see if I could explain it to them. So I started explaining how big college sports is in the U.S. and how amazing it is that you have all these uh, players who are students at a university who come together and uh, play where most of them will not get paid or do this as, as their professional job. And so they said, wow, that sounds pretty amazing. And so I tried to look for a statistic to explain to them just how big it is. And so I found a way to really get the point across. So I said to them, imagine this. If you take the largest stadiums in the world, regardless of what they're used for, professional sports, uh, or if they're used for marching or if they're used for anything, if you take the largest stadiums in the world, what would you do if I told you that most of the top 10 largest stadiums in the world were university stadiums only for playing university football? And they couldn't believe me. <laughs> and I told them, that's college sports in the United States. I said, on an average uh, Saturday, no playoff, no anything. A college sports, uh, a, a Michigan football team uh, will attract over 100,000 fans to watch a Saturday game, not a playoff game. And that stunned them to think that that, that was possible. And so I started bringing a lot of folks who would visit from Australia, from Africa, from different places, and try to hook them up with seeing a game, a, col a college game in the United States. I can tell you from my own personal experience with talking with them afterwards, it was stunning to them. They couldn't believe what they were seeing was, uh, was uh, a college sport, a non-professional sport. The spirit that blew them away, the spirit that tied that all together, sport, amateur sport, all of this was what made that so unique and special. So that uh, it's to this day, I still uh, bring this up with uh, a lot of folks I meet all over the world. Yeah, it's so amazing to have, like you said, a Michigan game on Saturday, and it's not against Ohio State or you know one of the Michigan State, one of the big teams in the Big Ten. It's against Hawaii or somebody like that, and Michigan will still have over 100,000 fans. They'll have over 100,000 fans. On average, they have like 104,000. So think of this, think of this. So we all hear, we all know that the, uh, that uh, soccer or football, depending on which part of the world you're in, is the world's largest sport. And we know that uh, the World Cup is probably the most watched sporting event. But for, to, for, for international fans, and also we'll, we'll give this to Michigan, if uh, you took the largest stadium, the stadium that the World Cup final was played in, and the number of people that were in there to watch Lionel Messi finally get, the, get his championship there, more people are in the Michigan game typically than we're at that World Cup final. Think about that. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That is amazing. But that's college sports. That, that's that, there's a love for college sports that that transcends you know professional sports. And when we talk about all these different things and you know the shifting, we may come off as old fogies a little bit talking about oh it used to be like this, but no. There's a spirit that has made college sports what it is, what makes it uniquely American. Let's try to hold on to that spirit. Remember what what made it that. 
Yeah, and like you mentioned last podcast, there's that loyalty too, the loyalty to the team that you're representing and that you're playing and you're fighting for. Uh, that loyalty ends up going away with the transfer portal and all these NIL deals and all that stuff. And it's a really unique aspect having, you know, one player stay with one team for all four years or or as long as they can. But, you know, like you mentioned, Steve Kerr, he is an Arizona Wildcat. He always was, you know. So it, we want that to remain intact. We're not against NIL per se or the transfer portal, but uh, it just needs to have some regulations so that you can at least have some semblance of, of loyalty, you know. Um, no, absolutely. Because think about it. Think about the age of the people making these decisions to just suddenly hop schools. I, I'm not convinced. One of the reasons, as much as uh, it caused pain for folks and stuff, that I was, uh, I, I was at least happy that we kept, we made uh, future NBA stars at least play one year in uh, college or so forth is because when they're that young, they don't really know what's the best decision for them. So some make the bad decisions and will go hop around and show a lack of continuity and they'll never get into a program that could uh, develop them. So some of the players that are on the cusp of being great, if they sit consistently in the same program for a few years, the coaches have a chance to build them up to get them there. And if they're not, then that makes sense. You transfer out, but you need to be in a program for a while to be developed. And you heard Carter in his uh, speech saying that one of the reasons he accepted Arizona is Arizona, he knows he's going to get better at Arizona. Right. It's not going to just happen one year. Right. Did, did Tabellis get play the way he did this year from one year? Did Ballo? Right. <laughs> no, no. It all happens through a development program. And if you keep, keep jumping schools, there's just no way you're going to be that player. Right. So you just can, can get a different program, just a different development program the next year. Right. So that leads me into kind of wrapping up the Tommy Lloyd as a recruiter and player developer. I was on Twitter uh, about a week or two ago talking to somebody and he refused. And I, I think he's an Arizona fan. I wasn't sure, but he refused to believe that Tommy Lloyd had any role in player development when it came to Christian Coloco, Dalen Terry and Ben Matherin. What are your thoughts on that? Cause I was, sharply defending Tommy Lloyd saying, even though it was one year, those three guys had stayed within the Arizona program, like you had mentioned just recently here. Uh, but I do believe that Tommy Lloyd played a huge role in their development. And I think Tommy, even though it was one year, I think Tommy helped accelerate those careers and got them to the NBA. Uh, I do think that they were talented, obviously with Sean Miller, but I think Tommy Lloyd helped them get to that next level and, you know, at the beginning of last year, did any of us see Christian Coloco going to the NBA or even Dale and Terry? Not really. That's it. We, that, that, that would be my case. That would be the case I would make. There is no way you can tell me it had no impact. Those guys, not 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 one. So even Matherin, uh, Coloco, and Terry all made stark improvements by the time we saw them start playing under Tommy. Now we're talking under a new program, and this almost seems to go counter to what I just said about uh, being underneath the development program. But he had he had a good foundation to work with. They stayed within the program, and Tommy was just effectively taking them after they've already been kind of polished already uh, from playing at Arizona. And you could see a distinct improvement, and you could also see a shift in some of the mistakes that they were making that made them not really stand out in the previous year, including Coloco's defense. There, he seemed to have some of the coaching or whatever happened to him in the offseason into Tommy's first year seemed to have improved his footwork and his uh, and and his positioning down low. So I would 
it was to me it was fairly clear i don't think that one could make the case that there was that that, that he had no responsibility for that i don't buy that at all yeah this guy was just saying that you know tommy won with sean miller's players and that tommy didn't develop these guys and that sean miller had developed them to the point that they were at when tommy got them and you know they were going to make that leap anyways because they were getting more playing time and they were you know that's just a natural progression i said no that's not a natural progression they progressed rapidly under Tommy Lloyd you know yeah they would have gotten better because they had more playing time and yeah their stats would have gone up but if you're looking at Christian Coloco I mean his points doubled almost you know one and a half time you know two and a half times it's just crazy what leaps and bounds he made um and so I, I just I, I just I don't buy it also and I had also say you could tell from the player's response to Tommy um there was no way they developed the bond they did with him as tight as they did if they didn't buy in right and if they didn't buy in, you could tell. You could tell. I think it's a. I think it's a no-brainer. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, could could he have done more for them? And so, sure, sure. But I mean, each. I think they did quite well. The fact that all three of those, about Dale and Terry, going as high as he did, who saw that? Right. <laughs> and of if course, they, he had an amazing combine. But <laughs> and let's let's get this clear. I love Sean Miller. I thought Sean Miller was great, and I thought he was a great recruiter. I thought he was. A good, I still do. A really good coach, and I love what he's doing with Xavier. Awesome guy, and I do think he played a key role in the careers of Matherin and Terry and Coloco. Um, but if they were so good when Tommy Lloyd received them, you know, why wasn't Arizona ranked preseason? They were unranked and they went up against number four, Michigan in Las Vegas. And the commentators both said, this is the best unranked team I've ever seen, (laughs) you know? And so you basically, you got it. You got it dead on right there. That is it. That's the proof. Yeah. So Anyways, I was just frustrated by that guy on Twitter, and I think he is an Arizona fan, but he just would not give Tommy any credit. He loved Sean Miller, and I get it. I love Sean Miller too, but I think Tommy deserves some credit for what he did with Coloco, Matherin, and Terry. Um, I, I, I think so. I yeah. think so. And, and not, not that, uh, not that uh, Tommy Lloyd wouldn't be thanking uh, Sean Miller for leaving those, that, leaving that uh, in the cupboard, but uh, absolutely, I believe he did. Right. So on the topic of player development, we can talk about Tommy Lloyd and how he developed Pella Larson into a player that entered the NBA draft. What do you think? <laughs> well, so if if you thought for the moment that maybe Azul should reconsider his NBA draft bid right now and that he, he might not make it, to, uh, he might not even get selected in the second round, what the heck is Pella Larson thinking? <laughs> Pella Larson is thinking he wants feedback. That's all I can muster up is that he he wants feedback from these guys to know what he needs to work on this year. I don't think for a second there's a chance he stays in the NBA draft. If he does, then best of luck to him. We love you, Pella, but I don't think so. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to because he's certainly not going to. He's certainly not going to get selected in the draft, and I don't think he'll he'll struggle to uh, even outside of the draft and stuff. He'll be and he'll end up in some. Uh, if he's okay, if his options and and you know I, I have thought about this. If their options are, of course, they play international ball and they want to play pro someplace and stuff. That's one thing. But I think I, I think it's just as you said. I think he's trying to get some feedback. He wants to understand. He's, he's put. He's dipping his toe in the water, seeing how cold it is. He knows it's cold. He just doesn't know how cold it is. He's about to find out. And on that note, what are your thoughts about you know people that have a a dream to go play in the NBA? Why would they not 
declare for the NBA draft to get those, you know, topics, the things they need to work on, those those hints. What do I need to work on to be better? What do I need to work on to get to the NBA? Why do more players not declare and then pull their name out? I think I think that's a really great question, actually. And one of the things that I've always thought about is I've always thought that it would be very interesting if players were able to uh, get access to NBA scouting reports on them to where they could get an understanding of what, what they're thinking of them. Because having to actually, in the past, of course, you and I know that you, there used to not be this grace period where you could put your name in and t- test the waters. It was either you did or you didn't. If you hired an agent, it was over. And, and that part still may be, but I'm, if you, you couldn't uh, be halfway. It was a binary decision. But now it's easier for them to do that, to test the waters. I think it would all be very interesting if there was a feedback mechanism, particularly when you have a lot of scouts that are, are at the games for folks to get an idea of what's being said about them, that this could be somehow anonymously passed to them in a, a, a report or some way of doing that so where they could get that type of feedback and understand what they're doing. This also would make sense for the transfer portal because what they can see is I recognize that someone gets into a program and one of the reasons they transfer is the development program isn't quite in line with the type of development they need. And so one of the things that would definitely make that case is suppose you got a report back that was a cumulative kind of report of what scouts had written up about you or, or experts had written up about you about the development you needed and it didn't line up with the program that you were getting the current program you were in. And that would be a good case for transfer. Just some thoughts. Yeah. No, I like that idea a lot because I don't know that the NBA wants a, you know, influx of all these guys declaring and going to all these camps and, you know, it takes a lot of money to, to host these guys. And, uh, I think if there was a mechanism in place for, you know, college players to get feedback without having to declare, that would be a great system. Uh, here's what you need to work on. Uh, if, you know, if you have aspirations to go to the NBA, you know, I can totally see Kylan Boswell next year, uh, declaring to, just to see what he needs to work on. He may be at the point next year where he's good enough to go, but uh, I do think a, a mechanism go. would be great for them to get feedback now and not have to declare just to get the feedback they need. Um, that's a, and that's and a, I know that I, th- I know that sometimes some of the scouts and others are protective of the, their analysis, but I've seen many reports and many of them that have publicly described how they saw players. And I remember that one of the challenges that NBA coaches were saying was one of the number one challenges they were facing was getting some of these raw players who were one and dones who come into the NBA. And they need that development that they would have gotten college before, but the, uh, the, and the, they end up getting drafted, they end up going to the NBA team. And so they spend the time taking these rough diamonds and polishing and getting them just good enough and just to the point where they get them to where they, they need them, they go free agent. Right. <laughs> so they lose that in that time because they have to do the development that should have happened earlier. And uh, so by doing this type of thing, it helps the future for the NBA because now what they can do is players get a more insight as to what they need to develop and get that type of development before they come to the NBA. And the NBA has a better picture of whether or not this player can develop. And then I think that all that all the NBA benefits, college basketball benefits. Yeah, and that was kind of the whole reason why they instituted the one year before going pro instead of going straight from high school because you were getting a bunch of high school kids that weren't ready to play in the NBA. You know, not everybody is Kevin Garnett or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James. Uh, no, the vast majority of them spend years just trying – they try to develop them, and then they end up in the G Leagues or something else, and they uh, they they just – they're disappointments, and they, they're, they're, they're usually the majority of them are that way. 
and they just were saying, gosh, if there was some way that they could have stuck around in college. And I saw that over and over again from scouts and from uh, coaches that had that feedback that they wish they would stay a bit longer and get the development. Most of those players would get that development. Right. Well, speaking of a player that might not be back, but we have high hopes, or we have hopes. We don't have high hopes. We have hopes. Uh, there was a rumor, and again, this is, take it with a grain of salt, that Tubelis might not be getting good feedback from NBA folks and that there's a chance that he could return to Arizona if he had a good NIL. Uh, again, this is not a done deal. It's not even close to being for sure or anything like that. Uh, it's just a, a rumor that somebody threw out there. But would you take Azulis Tabellis back knowing the 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 way the transfer portal is right now and how you know Arizona doesn't have a ton of players coming in? We've got K.J. Lewis. We also have Jaden Bradley, obviously, we talked about earlier. But would you like to have Tubelis back if that was an option? I mean, I, I would take him back just, I mean, he's, he's an Arizona player, right? He's, he, he's, he's a great impact player. And one of the things you have to, Tubelis, I would say, the reason why I'd take him back is think of the game where you think of games where he was just blowing his stats out of the water and suddenly he get he sits down and he, he just starts dishing the ball to other people. He never had an ego problem. Uh, on the one side, he, he at times seems like he doesn't have emotion, but on the other side, flip side of that, he didn't seem like he was playing with a big ego. And so if Tommy had him back as a weapon, he I think that if he chose to uh, shift the way he used him and such that he maybe didn't get as many minutes because he had shifted the strategy, I think Tobias would be okay with that. I mean, even though it may hurt his uh, his uh, NBA profile or whatever, but I don't know. I, I think he would be okay coming back, but I, I don't think that that's going to really happen. I think one way or the other, he's going to go pro, even if it's not uh, in the NBA. I agree. I agree. It, it was just a rumor I had seen, and I thought, you know, that would be interesting, especially with... I, I saw that, too. I, I saw that, too. I, I said, wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been watching on, I've been watching on various projections for the draft to see where he sits. And, uh, you know, he, he's going it, to... It's going to be very interesting. I mean... <laughs> he's going to... I, I just... I'm curious what his plan is. Yeah, he's going to need some good camps. He's going to have to, you know, have some great workouts and really improve and not improve his game per se, but just prove to these guys that he can do uh, everything that he did at Arizona and more. Um, it is going to be very, very interesting. I, I don't even know. I'm curious, does he even want to play professionally in Europe or is his ultimate goal to be in the NBA? It's, it's odd. I don't know because... I can totally see him coming back and saying, you know what, forget it. I'm going to come back. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to, you know, try and work on a few things. And I think there might be less pressure on him for next year than there was this year. I feel like we used him quite a bit, you know, as our main guy, like you got to show up. We need you to do this, this, and this. Whereas next year, you know, we bring in some guys, we got Jaden Bradley, uh, we got, you know, Kylan Boswell in his second year and he's got the keys now. So I think he'll make that leap as well. Uh, we've got some big guys that we're working on. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I would gladly take him back, but I just don't know what his mindset is. You know, it, if he's not going to be in the NBA, does he want to play professionally over in Europe or would he rather come back to Arizona? I don't know. Okay. Um, he was never that talkative. So, you know, he's not speaking that loud about it right now. Right. <laughs> I just think that one of the things that would be interesting is with the new dynamic of the team, uh, 
there was so much dependency that he had to be the top scorer. He had to be the top scorer, the top rebounder in the Pac-12. He just had to be uh, because there, at times at the beginning of the season, it looked like Ballo would uh, be the backup for him so that if he wasn't that guy, we had somebody else. But we, as the season went on, he, there was much more dependency that he had to score. He had to break 20 points. And I think with the new configuration stuff, maybe that shifts now to where that's not the case anymore. It takes a burden off of that, but uh, we're, there's a lot of exciting things that we've got to see, right? Yeah, I mean, speaking of player development, Balo is one of those guys that took that next step, and now can he take another step? And if he does, and then you got uh, obviously Dylan Anderson, Henry Vasar, you got those guys as bigs. If those guys make ste- you know the next step that we think they'll make, because Tommy Lloyd is a good player developer. Uh, then maybe you don't have to rely on Tubelas for thirty points a night or whatever it is. Uh, maybe he can right, he can it? end up working on some of the things that he needs to work on and get himself to the NBA. Uh, I just I don't yeah, know. I'll, I'll, I'll make some quick comments since you brought him up. But I'm looking for uh, I'm looking to see what the offseason does with Henry Vasar because he the guy he he was a kind of a, a clumsy big guy out there, right? Yeah. He was a good body to have up and stuff like that but he he was more the guy who was going to scream <laughs> you know he's going to stand up and scream and stuff and he wasn't a, he wasn't going to try to score all that much and stuff i'm looking to see if he can make that leap over the offseason here and turn into a newer player you know something more of a potent force next next season does he um, does he yeah, remind you that, of a early on caleb tarzuski yeah because that's what he feels like to me just kind of clumsy just yeah. always brings the ball down instead of keeping it high just some of those things that caleb yeah. did in his early years that's it. That's where the clumsy came from. He just seemed like he's a little bit clumsy and not, you know, he just, he, he's, let's see how that smooths out in the coming, in the coming season. And Bala, we know he, he started out that he started out with an amazing beginning of the season. He really looked dominant and then a lot of it tailed off. And we know he, we know that in many cases he had physical things such as the illness that uh, took him out uh, just before the ASU game and then the, uh, the ASU road game and then, we know that he broke his hand and so forth, but let's see how he rebounds after this offseason and, and let's see if he can take it up another notch. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's some opportunity here for these guys to make those leaps. And if they do, then Arizona could be a lot better than we're expecting them to be. You know, I think with Tubelis leaving, with Kerr leaving, everyone's expecting this huge drop off. But I don't know. We expected a huge drop off in Tommy Lloyd's first year. We expected a huge drop off last year when Matherin, Coloco, and Terry left, and there wasn't a huge drop off. Arizona got a two seed. So clearly, Tommy knows what he's doing. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, let the pendulum swing in the direction of Tommy. I have a lot of confidence in Tommy. I'm gonna think the Cats are gonna be good. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm looking forward to another exciting season. Looking forward to seeing what Tommy can bring to the table and seeing how some of the players that we know, how they've uh, developed in the offseason and seeing what the new players do and how Tommy's brought them into brought them into the mix. All right. Well, before we head out, I just want to touch on this real quick. I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but uh, what are your thoughts on streaming services and Pac-12 games? I, I've heard both sides, and I have a side that I like in my head, but I want to hear what you think. Well, I, I don't want to. One of the things that will make the Pac-12 really disappear into insignificance is the choice of who becomes the carrier for Pac-12 games. I heard in the, I've heard of some really funny ones that I know your fun one to pick on is the CW. Um, I think that if uh, if the Pac-12 ended up on a major streaming service, that would be very interesting. Some of the things that really make that appealing for uh, 
the streaming services, of course, is currently with this writer's strike and everything. They're starting to look at ways with non-scripted uh, content that, that will actually make people watch. But at the same time, I'm very conscious of the difference between how the Pac-12 is perceived and say the SEC and Big Ten because alliances with ESPN, for example, and Disney. So I, 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 first of all, this ties back to another question that would take a whole long time to discuss is that what is the future of the Pac-12? <laughs> right. Right. The Mountain West and Conference so, 2.0. Yeah. So it's, it's, this is, this is what, uh, th this of course uh, brings it into play. And I, and I, and I, I go ahead. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what, what you're thinking about the streaming services. I mean, I'm all in on streaming right now anyways. I have YouTube TV, I have Netflix, and I have Disney+. Plus. Uh, I do not pay for you know Xfinity cable or anything like that. I do pay for internet. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty much all in right now on streaming anyways. I, I do think that's kind of the, the future of our, our technology and our, our television watching and content uh, viewing. And so if you had a company like Apple, I'm a big Apple fan, you know that audience doesn't know that, but you do now. <laughs> I, I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have an Apple Watch, I have a Mac Mini, I've got you know Apple TV and whatnot. If a company like Apple came in and the money was right, would that be such a bad thing to have Apple as the partner with the Pac-12 for streaming games? Now people will say, well, not everybody has Apple. If they have you know, the games on Apple TV, the app, the app comes now on almost every smart TV. You can't buy a smart TV now that doesn't have Apple TV on it. And so you could have Apple TV on your app, on, or the Apple TV app on your TV, and now you're watching these games on television. Does that sound good? Does that, you know, is that not good enough I, I because think, it's not ESPN or? Well, I think, I think to some extent nowadays, because of the way people are being delivered content, streaming has changed everything. And right now there's a big, there's a big discussion because streaming has also been, uh, it has overstretched itself. As many of the streaming services start to come out, they've been actually the reason why some of the big movie studios and others have taken such big losses is even though their movies have done well, uh, the streaming services have literally drained cash out of their coffers because uh, the content is so expensive. So the advantage of sports, depending on the licensing fees and stuff, is that uh, that you don't require writers, you don't require all the rest of that stuff. It's basically unscripted uh, uh, reality TV, so to speak. The only thing I think about with Apple is that, to some extent, uh, the Pac-12 network does it. It could, I mean, not the Pac-12 network, but the Pac-12 games could play basically. The one of the things that they could choose to do with streaming is just to make it generically available. Like I do the same thing you do. I watched all the Pac-12 games or whatever. I it, whatever the network was didn't matter to me. What what they were on, if it was on, and if I used the streaming service to watch it. So if it was a game was on Fox, it was the only one that wasn't on Sling TV that I was using as my primary way of watching the games. For me, it just seemed generic. Whatever the game was, I was watching the game. The platform I used or how I got it didn't really matter. Yeah. So if you had to use Apple TV as the app instead of using yeah. Sling or YouTube TV or whatever you know we use, it doesn't matter because we're just using that as the vehicle to get the game. Yeah, the only thing that's different is that with Apple TV, the only thing is it tries to lock you into an ecosystem, whereas with ESPN, it was on anything. You could get it on YouTube TV, you could get it on Sling, you could get it on whatever, right? You didn't need to pay a service. You didn't. I mean, you paid one service and you got all of the different ones, right? Right. 
And so that would be the one that would be the one thing I would say against Apple is that I wouldn't want to have to necessarily have to pay for Apple TV to do it because then, I, then it's an additional thing you have to pay for. For example, when you're using YouTube TV or I was using Sling, you could get ESPN, you could get uh, TNT, you could get uh, uh, you know ABC or Fox or whatever you could get. You could watch all the different games from the different sources and stuff, and you didn't have to pay anything extra for them. You just paid for one streaming service. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's interesting because I don't know which way the Pac-12 is going to go. I don't think anybody knows which way the Pac-12 is going to go or even if Arizona is going to be in the Pac-12 when it goes that way. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. That's, the, that, that's why I said that it's that, that's a really loaded question that could be up for a long discussion because, um, you know, the, the reality of the USC-UCLA thing has still yet to hit. It's, 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 going to, it's going to have its impacts. And I know everything that... Uh, you know what they've been trying to do to try to uh, uh, to uh, defer uh, the discussions about what other teams might do, but the reality is going to hit here soon enough, and so it's uh, very curious as to what the future holds for the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, there's the growing rumor that Colorado's looking at leaving. Um, obviously, there's rumors that Arizona wants to go to the Big 12 with Colorado and potentially ASU and Utah or something like that, uh, and then there's also the rumor that. Oregon and Washington might get a, a invite to the Big Ten. So, who knows? Uh, you know, I'm I'm not an, as knowledgeable in this area. Uh, I am listening to what people are saying, but you know, there's been so many promises made for over a year now, and nothing's happening. And it just seems odd that you know they're not getting on this, and all these other conferences are locking in their TV deals, and and they are set for the next several years, and the Pac-12 is kind of left in limbo. And, you know, that kind of shows you why USC and UCLA are leaving. Yeah. Well, I'll say this is kind of a parting note, too. If you thought that because the uh, season ended that these podcasts wouldn't be interesting, look at all the drama and excitement and stuff that's occurring in the offseason. Keep joining us to listen to more of this as we try to break down in some detail all the different dynamics that are ch changing the face of college basketball and going to set us up for an exciting uh, season next year. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Ed, thanks for being on with me. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Stay tuned. This is Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. And again, I'm your host, Ricky Garrett, here with Ed Bardo. And take care, everyone. And uh, be sure to tune in for more great episodes. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you later. Play for Ballo. Layup is good. Captivating when I get it on the floor. Inside, nobody open there. Backdoor cut to Larson. He'll lay it in. Feel it. I'm a beast. I'm an animal. Look at the face. Our top of the key. Looked at the three. Didn't take it. Underneath to Ballas. Open and lays it in. Cancel the ball the other way. Feed it to Ramey. Spots for the three. Got him.